Hello, everyone. This is Jason, and I'm pleased to bring you the conclusion of Through the Eyes of Rich with our special guest, Rich Ackerman. Rich comes to us from the south side of Chicago, and he's been through a lot. He's a cancer survivor, a loving parent, and a community volunteer. And today, he shares with, more with us about some of the lessons he has learned from his family and how they have shaped him into who he is today. Here we go with Two Dads with Hats, episode 25, part two. Welcome to Two Dads with Hats with your hosts, Jason and Brandon. I'm not saying activism because I think that sometimes it carries a negative connotation in our in the in the US um, area. So I think you know you are you are you are helping people. I mean you are really making positive changes and you have for so long. How did you get into it? Because I'm sure that a lot of people as myself, Jason, you know, we've always wondered like how can I make a difference? How can I help? And could you, could you share just a little bit? Uh, I'll um, try. I'll try. I think, you know, for me and for many other people, it might be a life-changing event. I remember when I was sick and I had um, on a stage four colon cancer and, and waking up from the surgery, not knowing, you know, anything was still pretty young. You know, I'm what, 22 years in remission. So it probably put me at like 42, 43. And, wondering, um, you know, what's going to happen next. I had a young family and um, I knew it was going to be a struggle. But after that, at some point, I remember talking to my oncologist and, you know, he said, you know what, we're going to put you on this protocol. And it's a trial, you know, using like a little Sony Walkman to get your chemo. And it made your body adjust much easier than going in for five hours and getting shot up with chemo and then feeling like crap later on. What, and that was a great, that was a game changer for me to be able to go through the whole period of a year and commiserate with other people. So what I started talking to other patients and saying, look, this is like really cool. It's not as bad as you think it is. And um, it's really, really important that um, don't sit on the couch and be a potato, you know, get out there, work. Um, you're now enabled with technology even back then to do that. Um, and you're going to feel a lot better about yourself. So I think that was kind of, you know, it, you know, the, the crowning point for me. I think before that, um, you know, I was really focused on on building my career and you know putting some money in the bank. But that that kind of made a change for me. And ever since then, I've, I've been doing different things for for various organizations. Um, and, and and even in my business career. Um, I've always focused on how can we make you go home two hours earlier in the day or how can we make life easier when you go to work in the office and in focusing on things like that. So I guess it, I would have to say kind of it really kind of kicked in, you know, you know, third gear back in, in you know, what was it, 92, 93 or something like that. But prior to that time, um, you know, it was just kind of really working hard and starting to build a family and, and trying to develop my children into into really good kids. So, but I'd have to say that I don't have a, I wish I had a better story that said it started back when I grew up on the South side in, in Market Park, which is one, you know, 
considered part of Anglewood, one of the bad neighborhoods. But so, Rich, for anybody who doesn't know, like anybody in the West Coast or in the Southeast, we're talking about Chicago. Not a good area, right? Well, Chicago's. A, is, I I I I would not disagree, but I'm just I would say that Chicago is a fantastic town for a lot of. Oh no, not, not Chicago, but the areas you're talking about. They're not. You know, not to look at all of Chicago. Chicago's huge. What's that? Our third, fourth biggest city, right. and we're talking about some areas that are not nice. Some areas that are not affluent, and those are some areas that impact. Yeah, there's, you there's really, there's really three areas in Chicago that have the struggle with the gang violence, and um, I grew up in one of those areas and watched the neighborhood change from all white population um, to black population, and you know at that time um, in Latino population. And um, the other one is Englewood and the other one is North on the North side in, in kind of like the Austin neighborhood. But the rest of Chicago is a wonderful place to live. And even on the fringes of those areas, it's they're great areas. But the gang violence, again, is, is really limited to other gang members. And if you get in the way, then too bad. But that's, uh, they're not out there shooting at white people and, and specifically taking on the entire city so but yeah I had a it was a tough upbringing my parents were uh, racist I'm, I'm you know it's just the way they were brought up and you know and, and their parents were the same way but um, you know I think maybe another if you're talking about how did this start was when my dad was in his last days at Heinz VA watching a man who was an absolute um, uh, racist sitting in with other veterans from that were black and Latino from World War II and learning that what the real truth was about what it was like to be black or what it was like to be Latino and him changing in his last six months of life and then having the most incredible conversations with him. Um, th that was kind of moving for me. So kind of tough to talk about. Suffice it to say, I learned from my father, you know, who was a racist who became a non-racist while he was in the hospital. And uh, it was, it was kind of moving for me to watch that happen as he passed away. So um, that's kind of, that's kind of the story there. Um, so Rich, that, thank you for sharing that. Cause we can tell, we can see that that's very personal and uh, evokes emotion. So I really appreciate you sharing that. It, it, could you share kind of like how you actually started working with folks, you know, and actually transition. Cause you mentioned before you did what all of us doing, just trying to, bring money home, put bread on the table, roof over the head. And then I don't actually know the story of how you got involved with helping these people. You've done so much and been part of such big things to help people. Is that something, because I know people want to know more and more, how do I help? How do I just help my fellow persons, you know, or fellow man? Can you share anything like that that gave you an idea or maybe something you did early on when you said, hey, I'm going to help people? Is there an organization or, you know, how do you do, I mean, I can't just walk out my door and say, I'm just going to find somebody and help them. What do you do? Well, you have to find and target organizations that you feel that you can generate some success with um, that are really in need. Okay. I think, you know, for example, in Chicago, Diane turned me on to a place called uh, Diane Cervantes, who was a former president of Chicago, HDI, uh, turned me on to a place called Feeding America. And, um, I, I'll tell you another real compelling moment was um, and Feeding America is all over the country and Chicago has the greater Chicago food depository. And the same goes with, you know, we're up in Rockford, our uh, Ty Comics and Aptris 
the headquarters are there. And I remember one night, um, not, it was fairly long ago, several years ago, and we were doing a feed line, and I didn't know what it was going to be like. It was raining, it was cold, and there were people that um, were in line that were in T-shirts, didn't have any clothes. Um, they were in shorts, uh, waiting in line for just um, whatever we could give them. And there was a family that came up that was newly um, kicked out of their house, two twin daughters, and they still were happy because they were, you know, had parents that were taking care of them and just talking with them and looking at them. Um, and I remember being in line watching and listening to the father's story of what happened to him. And um, to me, that was so compelling. Uh, it just kind of made me feel good. And, you know, and it's kind of every time I would get involved with an organization, I don't want to say it made me feel good, but it made me feel good that I could provide something to somebody else. I was okay financially. I was doing okay. Um, you know, call me a have versus a have not. But, uh, you know, like with my kids, I mean, if I could help them improve what they uh, were trying to do in their lives and, and uh, financially, I would do that. But I think it's those kind of moments. It's not just one particular thing. Um, every time we get together to, to put packages of food together, we're all together in sync and being able to build a group of people that, you know, it's like an assembly line to make meals for people. I think that's so incredible. Um, and the same thing with HDI. I mean, you guys are, you know, that organization for me is a family. I felt the love the first time I went there. And, you know, if I look at through the years, all the people there that I could possibly be assistance to from, you know, I know a lot about the, the service management industry, what drives it, you know, what, you know, can make it better. And um, if I can help those people, some of them not having a happy time in their lives and, and talk to them and get them to be somewhat motivated to whether maybe it might mean move out of a job, but here's another opportunity that you could take part of um, that's either greater than or um, the same or better than what you're currently doing. Um, and that to me was pretty impressive. So I don't think there was one specific moment. I think a lot of it goes with, you know, how you're brought up, you know, and um, despite the fact that our life was tough growing up, it wasn't, you know, my, we weren't wealthy, but by the same token, it, it was always take care of your brothers and sisters that were out there. And, um, you know, I think when I was like maybe 13 or 14, I kind of got into it. I was going to be a Lutheran minister. Um, uh, I really enjoyed working with the other um, children that were in our uh, Walter League is what we had. And, and we did stuff at that time uh, to help uh, needy families <clears throat> and, you know, to preach the word of God. And, and um, you know, Jesus is a big part of my life as well. So a lot of people don't see that, but um, that's my guiding light. And Rich, you know, you mentioned it a bit earlier where you played an important role in supporting your family, your children. I, I'm inspired. You're an excellent father and a grandfather, right? Yeah. Four kids, four grandchildren, and, and uh, growing up like weeds, I can't believe. I don't see them often enough. That was kind of a driver behind me retiring. And you hear that said by a lot of people, but that's really, really important 
to be able to be with your kids and your grandchildren and watch them grow up and some of the, the positive things, even the negative things that happen to them in their lives as they grow up. And um, I, I so enjoy that. And start, you said be there for them. It starts with the time. Can you share any more advice about some of the lessons that you've learned? Um, some of the things that you did that were effective that you would, you would say, yes, we need to do more of it and maybe any lessons that you would do differently? Um, I, that's a great question. I think specifically with my kids, um, it's, a, you know, the lesson to me was I wasn't always there for them. Okay. I was working hard and building a career for myself. Um, and always thinking that this is like really important for, to have the financial background for the family. And what I thought learn is that's not the most important thing. Most important thing is to be there for your kids when they need you. And, you know, another story for me, a life story was my oldest daughter, Vicki, who's 41. Um, after my second divorce, um, I, I wasn't always there for her. And she sent me a letter that was like 10 pages long talking to me, telling me how she felt about me being on the road all the time and not always there for it. And it was another life changing moment for me. Um, and it was hard. And I remember I had won a trip to a sales trip to, I don't know, St. John's in the Caribbean. And I, I took her with me. I, I took her with me. And we had such an incredible time together. And just, I learned so much about her in the time, while what she was doing in her lifetime in the time I was away, I didn't realize that she was on her way to get her master's degree in, in speech pathology. And she's very successful in what she does. And again, she's about giving back, working with kids that have speech impediments. And she uses music to help them uh, improve what they're doing, their, their speech and their language issues. Um, and I just think, you know, watching stuff like that, um, watching Rachel go through, uh, what it's like to go through heroin addiction and go through two or three rehabs and wasn't so much watching her, but what was happening with other kids around her, a lot of them didn't make it. You know, a lot of them died. They, they get out on the streets and they couldn't, they shoot up and there was no one around to help them if they OD. And um, she does a lot of social work as well. She was working in the County DuPage for, for parents that, you know, sometimes they're divorced, they can't drop their kids off because the, the relationship is so uh, uh, bad that they have to go to a centralized location. And she would be kind of like the, the umpire when these people would get together. So I learned about what that was like. And, you know, and the experiences that Kale is going through trying to manage a business, uh, two businesses now in, in for PetSmart. So it's just, it's, it's just cool. It's just, and it teaches me. So I learn a lot from my own family and um, there's different and individual compelling moments, um, you know, that, that have helped me. So uh, Jason, I don't know if that answers your question. It, it's kind of a long way around. You know me, I like to talk. So it, it does help. And in fact, that's part of the reason why I was inspired. We need to make a movie about your life. And I could share, I have a working title that I came up with. <laughs> I could, we're really I don't want to hear it. So, I don't, um, go ahead. When I, was, uh, when I was a younger man, I was part of a band and we, we wrote several original songs. And one of my favorite songs was about, um, it was about a single mom who 
had who was learning about what life looks like through her daughter's eyes. And what I want, I'm learning from what is life like through Rich's eyes. Because I think you're, I said it before, you're incredibly rich. I'm, I'm actually, I feel very lucky to know you and the fact that our paths have crossed. And I want to share that with the world, the entire world. So that's, that's part of the motivation around that. And I'm, I'm, my working title is Through Rich's Eyes. What do you think well, about that? That's, I appreciate that. And I think that's a good point of the conversation here today is that you don't always, it, all, it comes from inside to be able to do these things. But <clears throat> you learn from the world around you. I mean, it's your experience. It's your environment. Um, like I said earlier in the conversation, uh, the, com uh, the topic of Tally's Corner, you have to get out of a bad environment, okay? If you're continuing a bad environment and you don't change, it, 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 you know, you, it continues. It just continues and, and sometimes gets worse. So you have to work hard to get out of that environment. And people don't always know how to get out of that environment. And so where I think I can help is to show them if they're not doing well or if they are struggling or if they're in a bad environment, how to get out of that environment? Because I've seen it and kind of been there. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, um, for me, you know, and I learned from other people. I learned from my kids. I learned from my colleagues. I learned from you guys. Um, you know, and that's, that's key. That's, that's the key right there. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing your stories with us, Rich. They, this is one of the most powerful episodes we've had. I'm going to certainly go back, reflect a lot on what you've said. We're almost out of time. We have time for one more thing. And um, Brandon, I owe you uh, a 60-second book report on the 700-page book. And I, I have to give you a disclaimer. I did not read the 700-page book yet, but I did a little bit of research. I did the Cliff Notes version. And I'm prepared now, if you're interested. I I'm prepared for my 60-second book report on The Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Go. We were talking about that. Okay, timer's on, 60 seconds. So the number one takeaway for me from that book is that this gentleman, Tim Ferriss, if you haven't heard of him, please look him up on the internet. What he does is he looks at the world around him and looks at people that have had tremendous success. We're talking elite, top percentile success. And in the Olympic world, you could think of Michael Phelps. You know, love him or hate him, very controversial, but he broke all records and he, he is a tremendous success in that world. Well, why is he a tremendous success? It's mostly because of his physical talents, stuff that he was given a lot of that. And then also he worked incredibly hard. We go into the mindset of what, what it takes to be an Olympic athlete and really just the top of your, your class, no matter what you're doing. Um, but real quick, because I'm running out of, this is not a 60 second book report. <laughs> yeah, I'm running out of time. So the, the point is, we have to come back uh, another week for the actual report. So <laughs> I'll, I'll see you in another week. That's what <laughs> you're gonna do. Now you got to come back. See you at 60 seconds, Jason. <laughs> All right. That's fair Practice enough. In front of the mirror. We'll try again next week. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Rich, do you have anything else to add before we wrap up? Uh, I, you know, I think it's a, this is a great thing that you guys are doing. I enjoy it. I got to, I want to visit the other podcasts that you're doing in, in seeing how this, you move this thing, thing forward. I think it's great. Looking forward to the, the movie from, you know, days at Woodstock to, to, you know, 
getting out on a pond and, and learn how to throw a fly. And that's something I never knew how to do. And it's an art. It is an art. So um, getting a chance to kind of do some of the things that I've always wanted to on my bucket list. But um, importantly, I'm still working part time. Um, I don't want to totally leave our business. I'm working with Tim Ancona and uh, Michael Antonelli at Aptris and doing business development for them a few hours a week. And then working on, I am starting uh, to pull together things for a book, uh, a photography book, and, um, and maybe I'll put a little history in there. Um, I think one of the things, if you want to see a catalog of my work, I'm on at Fine, Fine Art America. Just go there and look up Richard Ackerman. You'll see me there. And uh, I do have my own website and um, a couple other sites to, to look at my work. I'm still working on that. It's a work in progress, um, mostly cataloging about three or 400,000 images. So um, going back to 1967. And um, so it's fun, but I don't want to really leave our industry in total. And I enjoy working with our local chapters and if I can help um, struggling chapters and I'll continue to do that and in life. Mm -hmm. Well, Rich, I appreciate you being on our show and I, I'm so lucky again, the fact that I get to see you several times a year in person and I'm looking forward to the next couple months. I'll see you probably twice more. So I'm looking forward to that big time. Brandon, you got to come to our cruise. It's, it's really great. Um, and, and Jason's been there several years and, uh, it's just an awesome experience. Um, you get to see a, a great part of Chicago and, um, and be with I'd a lot to. of from the, the Midwest. So love, love to have you there. Maybe I'll, uh, if you can't make it, we'll, we, uh, the Southwest from San Diego fly to Chicago. I don't, I don't know. know. Closest one of me is Orange County, Santa Ana. So let's get you here. We got to get you here. Excellent. Your calendar now, the middle of August, we're coming to Chicago. Jason, <laughs> take some money and give him a ticket. Okay. Yep. Graciousness of your heart. Uh, Cause we want to see Brandon there. Let's do it. All right, guys. All right, let's wrap it up. I appreciate, again, all, this has been incredible. Thank you again, sir. My pleasure. How do I turn this off? Um, <laughs> it's on forever. It's The government has a feed into the, yeah. We'll, I see. All right, so, uh, okay, well, it, it's, it's just kind of like uh, implant the uh, camera from my computer in my ear. And, all right. <laughs> Never mind, guys. Just uh, have a great day. About another 60 seconds, Rich. Just stare into the camera for about 60 more seconds. It will actually, um, it will turn off. You have to stare for maybe, maybe about 45 seconds. You just stare at it. <laughs> Don't say a word, just like own the camera and it will, it will yield to you. It will, it will bow. It will be like, boom. And all of a sudden it'll be done. It's, we, we have Jason. And I figured it out through trial and error. That's right. I bow to the light inside you. Is that what it's called? <laughs> I'm not going to say the N-word, the namaste. Okay, I said it. Sorry. <laughs> Bye, guys. All right, take care, guys. Bye-bye.